before I share um, uh, the beginning uh, of the new series in the book of Acts today. Uh, we're going to hear in just a few moments from one of our partners. Um, but I do also want to acknowledge, I'm glad that so many of you are here. Our first service was a little bit fuller, but this is one of those weird bridge weeks where Lebanon's fall break began this weekend and Weebo's is just ending. And so we have so many people traveling and yet to see so many faces that are eager and um, desiring to encounter God is, is really encouraging to me. Uh, one of the things at Lebanon Christian Church that we're passionate about is not just seeing the mission of our church lived out here. We want to help people trust and follow Jesus, but we want to see that happen all around the world. We believe that every life matters, not just the lives of people in Lebanon and Boone County and America, but lives of people all around the world. And so we partner with organizations throughout our world, including our community, but even internationally uh, to help people encounter him. And, uh, and, and discover who Jesus is and how much he's done for them and the hope and the life and the peace that he brings. Uh, we, we set aside 20% of every dollar given to Lebanon Christian Church goes directly outside of these walls to support some of those partners in our community and around the world. And one of those partners is Haitian Christian Outreach. You'll sometimes hear us say just HCO uh, for short. And uh, they're a ministry that's been operating in Haiti for several years in the southeastern part uh, of, of Haiti in a place called Peridot. Um, if you pay attention to the news, and sometimes it's hard to find news on Haiti uh, right now, uh, Haiti is going through one of its most desperate seasons as a nation and as a people. And we've invited Megan Schreiber, the U.S. Director for HCO, to come and to share, to help us understand what's happening there and how important our partnership is and even some tangible things we can be doing to come alongside them as they strive to help people encounter the hope and peace of Jesus in the midst of difficulty. And so we're going to let Megan share for a few minutes about what's happening at HCO. Good morning. I want to thank you all for inviting me this morning, and I, I want to thank you on behalf of Roe and Aline for your continued support and your longtime partnership um, with Haitian Christian Outreach. It's my pleasure and my honor to be here um, sharing with you what God's doing through the mission in Haiti. Next slide. Um, there's a lot going on, as um, Craig said, so please feel free if you would like to take pictures of the slides so that you have this information. But um, how did Haiti get to where it's at right now? There's actually a trifecta of uh, what has happened in the last year, so a lot uh, has happened. Um, politically, natural disasters, as well as gang violence, and um, unfortunately, some very horrific acts against um, uh, the people of Haiti, specifically women and children, in order to rule territory and um, communities. And so with that, um, the deterioration of the country has um, quickly fallen, um, specifically over the last four months. Haiti has always had or has seemed to have been in a state of crisis, but many who have served um, in Haiti, like Rowanaline and many others, um, will tell you that this is a time of unprecedented, um, a time that's, that is unlike any other that they have ever seen. Um, next slide. 
So uh, the gangs have a lot to do with the situation of the country right now. A lot of what they are being driven by is the political um, instability. Um, the current prime minister who is in power after the assassination of the president in July of 2021. Um, they, are, they are protesting and upset in regards to how the prime minister was put into power. And so what they have done is they have risen up and blocked all of the main way, arteries or main roads through Haiti. There are only three main roads through Haiti. There are 160 gangs that have decided to block those main roads. Um, and so there's currently no food, no fuel, and now no clean water moving throughout Haiti. That also means there's no medication and no medical supplies getting to hospitals. Um, next slide. So with that, in July and August, what we saw is the gangs blocked the seaports, um, which again, um, made for no fuel. We saw an increase in inflation from 24 to 31%. We also saw food almost triple in um, pricing, which also increased the amount of people who are going hungry. Um, the World Food Program had announced that that in a country of 11.2 million people, we are seeing 4.5 million people who are in emergent need of food and 1.3 million at risk of famine or starvation. Next slide. Then in September, the prime minister decided that he was gonna raise gas prices from 20 to 30 US dollars a gallon. Um, he was going to raise it again to 35 dollars um, this is a country whose average people make $2 a, a day. So he's raising gas prices. So this basically sent the country into a, um, a free-for-all, like a, down, a, a free fall, I should say. So basically, um, the gangs were very, very upset. And of course, the people were very, very upset because they were already experiencing very tough times. We saw communications start to deteriorate, which basically meant the um, Wi-Fi, the uh, cell service, things like that, that are already spotty, <laughs> um, started to go down because fuel could not be delivered to um, to the, the substations that needed it. Everything in Haiti runs on diesel. Um, and so if you cannot get diesel to those areas, nothing can run. Um, Hospitals were running on their last days or weeks of fuel. Perido Hospital now does not have fuel in order to run surgeries. Um, we saw major hospitals in Port-au-Prince um, basically deciding who's going to get life-saving medicine or life-saving um, operations and who's not. Um, we saw groceries and banks close. Charities were looted. Um, the World Food Program in Haiti was looted. We saw about eight, or I'm sorry, $6.8 million of um, charity looted and stolen from different organizations across the country because people are hungry and desperate. Um, next slide. So with that, with no fuel, um, no clean water, and no food throughout the country, we also now have seen cholera return to the country. So some of you may remember the large earthquake in 2010. 
following that earthquake, they did have an outbreak of cholera that affected 800,000 people and killed over 10,000 people. If the country remains the way that it is right now, it's expected to kill over 1 million people in Haiti. Next slide. So um, with all that information, these are a couple of the takeaways um, that I want you to remember from what's going on right now. And normally I could stand up here, in years past I could stand up here and say, Port-au-Prince is bad, but Jacmel and Peridot is still quiet and good and we're okay. Nowhere in Haiti right now is immune to what's going on. Next slide. But we are not called to stop serving. God has not called us to leave our post. God has not called us to leave the country. He has asked us to continue to serve. The why behind why we serve will never change. How we serve will change along the way but why we serve will never change. And so we need you now more than ever to come alongside of us and hold up our arms during this battle. Um, and so different ways that you can do that include um, prayer, number one. Uh, you know, like, like uh, uh, Craig and your worship uh, leader were saying, you're a praying church. By all means, pray over the country. Pray for HCO. Pray for the gangs. Um, like us on Facebook, like us on Instagram, tell people about the, the mission, connect people to us um, that may not know what's going on in Haiti, be a voice for those who do not have a voice right now. Um, monthly donations, monthly recurring donations, God can do so much even with just a little, right? Um, so these are different ways that you can help us out. Next slide. That's how Roe and Aline have, have done um, what they have done through the power of God and through the power of the Holy Spirit in the last 37 years is through partners like you coming alongside of them and holding up their arms um, in, different, in different difficult times, right? Um, that's why they have, they've had that faith through such difficulty um, being in Haiti. Um, and so, like I said, we've not been called to leave the country. Um, we've not been called to leave our post. Um, God has said, hey, we're not, we're not done yet, right? Um, you still have breath in your lungs. We still have a purpose there. So just as it says in Galatians, um, carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. Um, so again, we need, we need your help to come alongside of us. Um, so even with everything that is going on, um, when we have partners like you that, that hold up our arms, this is what we see happen. Um, we still have people who are coming to be baptized, giving their lives to Christ. The word is still being spread. Our churches are still open. When things are not safe for people to come to churches, the pastors are going to their members' homes. They're doing door-to-door -door evangelism. Um, this is a recent baptism that Roro did. A gentleman who came to him, came all the way out to Peridot, took three days to get to Roro, um, studied with him, and then gave his life to Christ. Next slide. Our church in, in Port-au-Prince 
is actually holding a revival um, at the end of this month. So they're telling people, now is the time. Now is the time to declare, this is the day of the Lord. Give your lives to Christ. This is what you need to know about how much God loves you. Um, even in this time, God is still with you. They're visiting and encouraging our pastors and our churches all throughout the country. Next slide. Our hospital, even though we may not be able to do surgeries, with the solar power that we have because of partners like you, we are still able to provide basic health care. Um, and when we cannot provide surgery, we partner with Haiti Air Ambulance who comes and lands on our soccer field um, to transport patients. And then our schools, um, even though our schools are closed because of the insecurity, the, the students are actually protesting against the gangs. They are out in the streets protesting, saying, we want to be educated. We want you to stop blocking the roads, and we want you to open up everything so that we can go back to school. Um, when was the last time your kids went out into the streets and protested because they had a snow day? So the kids know that their future is in education. They want to go back to school. And so we just, we want to thank you for everything that you have helped us to do in the last 37 years. We want to thank you for your partnership. We want to thank you for your continued support. And we want to thank you for helping us to do something in Haiti that lasts. I think if we're honest, that's a bit of uh, an unsettling thing to hear, to think that there are places in the world uh, that experience that level of desperation and difficulty. Uh, so much of that is completely unfamiliar to us. Uh, we, we think about our wages, which are far more than $2 a day, and uh, we think about how frustrated we are with gas prices as they approach $5 a gallon, let alone $35 a gallon in U.S. dollars. Um, and you just get a sense of what do you do when there's no water, when there's no food, when there's no access to, to medical. And, and that's really where the church gets to stand out as different. That's why Roro and Aline and HCO need us. We need, they need people supporting them in prayer. Um, we support them as a church financially. You may choose that that's something that you want to do as well. But ultimately, we, we need people to know the hope of Jesus because when everything else is stripped away, what do you have? And so how can we come alongside them? What can you do in the midst of your rhythms and routines to remember partners like HCO? Is there a way that you can incorporate it into your rhythms? Maybe it's just taking an index card and writing HCO on it or drawing it in marker or something and sticking it on your dashboard so that when you get in your car, you see it and you can pray on your way to work or on the way to the grocery store. Is there, is there a screensaver you can put on your phone or on your computer just to keep seeking God on behalf of Haitian Christian outreach? Um, here's the hope that we have. You can look throughout human history, including the early days of the church that we're looking at in the book of Acts, and you can see places where it seems like uh, the obstacle was immovable. There was no way to break through. There was nowhere to go. And yet God has made a way, and he continues to make a way. 
Uh, we sing a song here sometimes called The Same God, and we, we serve the same God. The same God who, when Moses and the Israelites were at the banks of the Red Sea and they said, we can't do anything, Pharaoh's army is pursuing us, we're all gonna die. The same God that parts seas still can do that and still does do that. And so uh, let's spend a few moments just seeking him on behalf of HCO and the work that they're doing. God, we, we come to you. Uh, I think, um, I know I am overwhelmed with what's happening in Haiti. God, I know the trial and the struggle I experience in my own life and what I see in um, my own small circles of influence. And Father, yet I hear stories of heavy grief and suffering and desperation. God, figurative and literal roadblocks. Um, so God, we come to you as a God who does part seas, a God who still calms waves and wind, a God who walks upon the water, a God who makes deaf men hear and blind men see. a God who raises dead men to life, a God who rolls stones away and raises to life himself. So Father, we come to you humbly and in awe, desperate, and on behalf of your people in Haiti, would you move? Would you break through hard hearts? Would you allow your gospel to infiltrate hearts that are are hard and calloused by their own desperation and their own um, just circumstances of watching their children and grandchildren and, and spouses suffer and starve? And would you soften them through your word that they might be agents of your peace? And God, would you restore uh, channels of distributing food and water and fuel? And God, would you put a heavy burden on our heart to lift up Haitian Christian Outreach and other partners like them in Haiti uh, that are trying to do a work that will last. Uh, guide us, guide them, lead us, lead them. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. As we continue our look at the book of Acts uh, through next Easter, we're, we're pivoting to a series on the Holy Spirit. And I know even as I say the words, Holy Spirit, uh, some of you are like, oh no, is this going to get weird? Uh, is this going to get a little awkward? What are we going to really talk about? Uh, the Holy Spirit remains uh, one of these more mysterious uh, parts of who God is and how he works in our world. Um, for many of us, the Holy Spirit even elicits uh, maybe even some feelings of being scared, like, what are we really talking about? What are we really getting into? And what I would submit to you is that the Holy Spirit is not someone to be scared of, uh, to be in awe of, yes. To live in a holy, reverent fear of, yes. But to be scared of, no. I don't know about you, I think I've shared with you many times before that I am not a big fan of being scared 
Um, it is fun sometimes to scare other people in the house, but I'm not a big fan myself of, of being scared. Uh, for me, my experience as a child during this season of the year when Halloween and costumes and all that stuff are happening, like I did not like it. I tried to avoid going to the grocery store with my mom because I did not want to see the scary costumes. Um, I was the kid who dressed up as an army soldier, a police officer, a lion, an astronaut, a ninja turtle. Uh, one year I did dress up as a girl, which is a whole different type of scary, I know, for other people. But, um, but that's kind of what I did. Like, the, the zombies, the, the, the vampires, like, like I could not do that. And I still can't. Like The closest I get to haunted anything is is going to the Haunted Mansion at Disney World. Like, that's the closest that I get to anything that is scary. Uh, I just don't like being scared. And, and for those reasons, I've avoided anything related to ghosts and ghost stories. Um, if I'm thumbing through our channels, and we only have basic cables, so we don't run into them very often, um, I'll be thumbing through, and it'll be like this show about ghosts and uh, ghost hunters. And I'm like, nope, I am passing that. Like I am not a, a ghost person. We went to Franklin, Tennessee for our 20th wedding anniversary here a couple of years ago. One of the most popular tours in Franklin are these after dark tours of civil war sites. They call them ghost tours. And I was like, nope, that's not for me. You'll find me maybe in a cafe eating a piece of pie. I am not going to be uh, looking for ghosts. I just don't do scary. I don't do ghost stories with the exception of one. I do the stories of the Holy Ghost. And I know even as I say those two words, Holy Ghost, for some of us that are younger, there's a little bit of a cringe that comes. Like, do we really call the Holy Spirit still the Holy Ghost? Well, truthfully, not very many people call the Holy Spirit the Holy Ghost anymore. Uh, and there's a few reasons for that. Uh, you, you might not know that up until around the 14th, 15th centuries AD, that the only way people talked about the Spirit of God was by calling the Spirit of God the Holy Ghost. That was the primary way they spoke of the Spirit of God, and that's because up until the 14th or 15th centuries, we relied heavily on our old English roots and Germanic roots, and in Old English, there's a word called ghast, and that word ghast means soul or breath or life, and that's the word we get our word ghost from. And so when people wanted to talk about the life of God, the breath of God in people, they would use the word ghast or ghost. It's just the way they translated the Hebrew and the Greek for the very same things, breath and life and soul. So where do we get the word spirit from? The spirit comes from the Latin spiritus, which is the exact same way of translating those same Hebrew and Greek words of breath and life and soul. And so over time, we had some people using, not as many people using the word spirit and others using ghost. And then around the 14th century, people began associating ghosts with disembodied spirits rather than breath and life and soul. And as time went on, especially coming into the 19th century, um, we have this thing called film and television and all of that stuff. And people started really making money off of the idea of ghosts. And with that, our movement of life and breath and soul kind of drifted to this whole realm of spooky and scary as it relates to ghosts. And in that, um, most all of our English translations now, instead of using the terms Holy Ghost, use Holy Spirit. But the Holy Ghost and the Holy Spirit are the same thing. They're terms that describe the very life, the very breath, the very part of God that comes and moves and works uh, inside of his people. And if many of us are honest, we, we kind of avoid talking about the Holy Spirit because there's just so much that's not um, 
accessible to us. There is a lot of mystery that surrounds it. There's a, there's a lot of misunderstanding that comes alongside that hopefully we'll address in the coming weeks. So often what's misunderstood gets misused or just missed altogether, sometimes neglected, sometimes forgotten, uh, sometimes ignored. And so we don't want to do that to the Holy Spirit of God. God's given the Spirit to be a very present helper an advocate, a comforter are words that Jesus shares, one that's to come alongside of us and be in us and help us live for his purposes in this world. Every single one of us share in common difficult experiences. Like we know difficulty in our life. Now those difficulties may be different, but every single person in this world, in this room and in this world has known tragedy, suffering, grief, heartache, heartbreak, and some of you in the room have known it in so great a measure that I can't begin to understand as I hear your stories. So how do we make it in a world full of difficulty brought on by sin? God gives a helper. God gives an aid. God gives his spirit to come and live inside of us, to help us, comfort us, and equip us. And so our hopes is that we will discover this week and in the weeks that follow the very present help that God supplies in the power of his spirit that's available to each and every one of us. And if you're someone who's just curious about faith, you're just investigating what it means to be a follower of Jesus or what it would look like to be spiritual, don't be scared away by the talk of the Holy Spirit. May you be curious. And may your curiosity lead you to an understanding of this help that God provides to you and the help that he provides to me. I want to invite you to imagine something. Imagine that you go to a restaurant with two of your friends. Uh, you make your way into the restaurant. It's one of those restaurants that has kind of that little hostess check-in counter. And uh, you come up to the hostess and uh, she asks, you know, what's your name and how many are in your party? And you tell her, party of three. And you see her write your name down and writes three next to your name. And she hands you one of those kind of buzzers that goes off when your table's ready. And so you go out with your friends and you're having a great conversation. 25, 30 minutes pass and uh, your buzzer goes off. So you make your way in and the hostess sees you and she begins to take you to your seat. And you're looking at this full restaurant, uh, people eating everywhere. Tables are full. And you kind of see as she's leading you, there's this, this one empty table. And you're like, that, that must be our table. And so you make your way there. And as you get closer, you realize that there's something that's not quite right about the table. The table is set for two rather than three. But surely if that's your table, the, the, the hostess is going to make it right. And so you approach and sure enough, that's your table. And she invites you to have a seat and you're waiting. I mean, surely she's going to go get a chair, an extra chair from somewhere. And that never happens. She proceeds to place the menu at one place setting and a menu at the other and she starts to walk away. And so you're like trying to be polite. Excuse me, um, uh, we have a party of three and there's only two seats here. And she with all kindness and respect says, I know, your waiter will be with you in a moment. And then she heads off and so you're trying to figure out what's going on. And so you find someone with an empty chair at their table and you go through the awkwardness of asking them for the chair and you bring it over to your table and all three of you sit down. You're, you're sharing menus and you're waiting for the waiter and the waiter comes and begins taking drink orders. They start with you and you give your order. They go to your friend on your right. They take their order and then they start to walk away. And, and so respectfully, you're like, sir, I, we, there are three of us here and you, you've missed my other friend's order. And... The waiter, with all due respect and all gentleness, says, 
Well, I know. I know there are three of you, but only two of you are really important. And the waiter walks away. I think all of us in that situation would be appalled. We'd be offended. Uh, In fact, it seems so fictional. Like, who would even do that? Like, no one would be eating that restaurant anymore if they did that. And yet for how many of us who are disciples of Jesus have we set a table for two when we have God who's a party of three? We'll talk about God the Father. We'll talk about Christ the Son, the Savior. But, but we, don't, we, don't, we don't want to talk about the Spirit. That's, that's a little odd. That's a little weird. That's a little different. And when we ignore the Spirit and we don't allow him to have a seat at the table, we do so to our detriment. Jesus himself said that it's better for us that he goes away so that his spirit can come. He shares that in in John chapter 16, verse seven. He's he's, he's talked with his disciples about the spirit in chapters 14 and 15. He's shared with them this dialogue in the upper room that they'll need his spirit. And he tells them in John chapter 16, verse seven, truly I tell you, whenever you see those words of Jesus, truly I tell you, he is doubling down. He is saying, this is important. It's translated in other versions. Verily, verily, I say unto you, like, like this is Jesus saying, this is truth, guys. This is truth. Listen up. It's good for you that I am going away. Because unless I go away, I can't send the advocate to come and to live with you and be in you. And the advocate's another term for the Holy Spirit. Now, how many of us, if we're honest, and we have the choice of having this invisible presence of God in us or having Jesus, flesh and blood, walking alongside of us, being in our living rooms with us, sitting at restaurants with us, worshiping with us in church, preaching and teaching us from the platforms in our churches and in our living rooms, how many of us would say, you know what, Jesus, I would just rather have your spirit inside of me. Most of us would say, no way, give me Jesus. But Jesus says, it is better for you that I go away. He looks into his disciples' eyes who who know the the power of his presence, who who know what it's like to be with him and hear from him and walk in his truth. And he says, it's better for you if I go away because then I can come live inside of you. See, humankind knows God walking with them in the garden. That's the story in Genesis. When things are perfect and well, God walks with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day. And then with sin, that relationship is damaged and through his people, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Jacob's children, the people of Israel led by Moses and Joshua and the judges and the kings, God works his story to lead us to Jesus, who once again, God comes and lives with us. Remember Jesus' name, Emmanuel? God with us. But in the spirit, God does something even more for us. Not just will he be with us, but he's willing to live inside of us. The breath of God, the life of God, working his power out in us and through us. And so if we ignore that, if we neglect that, if we refuse to pull up a seat at the table for the spirit, we do so to our own detriment. And so the hope of this series is that we could allow the spirit to have a seat at the table in our lives that we would treat him as an equal member of the Godhead with God the Father and Christ the Son. As we think about Acts, 
you will find as you read Acts, if you've already read the whole book, uh, as we've launched this series, you'll already notice this, that the Holy Spirit is a prominent role player, to say the least, in the book of Acts. The Holy Spirit shows up again and again and again and again. In fact, if you look at the American Standard Version, which is the predecessor to the English Standard Version, or ESV, some of you read from that and you study that, um, the word Holy Spirit, the phrase Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, shows up 56 times in 28 chapters in the book of Acts. The Holy Spirit has a place of prominence. If you look at the NIV, I just did a quick skim in the whole book of, uh, of Acts of the NIV, and I found 48 references to the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Jesus in the book of Acts. That means I missed a few. But it shows you that the Holy Spirit plays this prominent role in the book of Acts. When we see God continue his mission through his people, what fuels that and enables that and equips that is God's very spirit that's made available not only to them, but made available to us. From the earliest verses in Acts, we see that Luke is sharing the Holy Spirit's a big deal. Acts chapter 1, verses 4 and 5, he shares about this encounter Jesus had in those 40 days after his resurrection with his disciples. He says this in chapter 1, verse 4. On one occasion, while he, Jesus, was eating with them, his disciples, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Jesus says, hey guys, I need you to wait. Wait here in Jerusalem, hang out. My father's gonna give you that gift. What gift, Jesus? The gift you, we talked about. And they're recalling the words of Jesus in the upper room about the spirit, the helper, the comforter, the advocate that he will send, that he will, he will give them. It's better for them to have than to have him with them. Wait for it, it's coming. It's what John talked about. Remember, John said he would baptize with water, but, but there's gonna be one who baptizes with the spirit. Jesus, that time is coming where you will be overwhelmed. You will be filled with the spirit of God. And if that's not enough, a few, few moments later, he shares with them about how he'll, 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 we'll get power from the spirit. He says, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. This is Acts chapter one, verse eight. And you'll be my witnesses. You'll share with people what you've seen and what you've heard about me in Jerusalem, in places like Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. He says, this, this is what the Spirit's gonna do. He's gonna enable you and work in you and work through you. And we get to Acts chapter two, and we, we studied this a few weeks ago in our week on the language of the kingdom. We see that the Spirit comes on the day of Pentecost and fills believers Aside from Jesus, up to this point, when the Spirit fills people in Scripture, in the history of God's people, it's temporary. It's for a season. You take the two guys, Bezalel and Aholiab, who work on uh, the, the, the dwelling of God, where he'll come and be with them. He gifts them with skills and abilities and all kinds of artistry and crafts and um, gold making and weaving. The Spirit of God fills them. Prophets have the Spirit of God that comes on them for a period enables them to proclaim God's words to his people. But other than Jesus, it's always temporary. But here the spirit of God comes on people 
and it's not temporary. The Spirit of God comes and he stays with them and people's lives are changed. And as people begin to see what it's like to have the Spirit move in their lives, they begin to ask questions and uh, some of them aren't really sure what's going on. And so Peter reminds them, this is in verses 16 through 21 of Acts chapter two, that what's happening is what God talked about years before, even through the prophet Joel. He says, in the last days, God says, I will pour out my Spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. And he goes on to talk about some of the signs that will be seen when the Messiah comes, when the Messiah saves, as people come to him and they believe, they repent, they follow him in faith, they trust and follow Jesus. His spirit fills them, working in them, and through them, Peter goes on to preach a message that cuts people to the heart. And people want to know, like, how can my life be changed? And in Peter's response, he tells us that what happened on the day of Pentecost wasn't just for them, but it can be available to every single one of us. Every single one of us can have the Spirit of God in us. Here's what Peter writes, or Peter says, Luke writes it, uh, Acts chapter 2, verses 38 and 39. It says, Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And this promise is for you and your children and all who are far off, all whom the Lord our God will call. So Peter says, the spirit of God's available to us. We need the spirit of God. If you're, if you're going to live for God in this broken world, we need the spirit, our helper, our advocate, our comforter to come alongside of us. And we're not alone in that. Do you know that Jesus relied upon the Holy Spirit? Jesus let go of the advantages of being divine. Philippians chapter two tells us that in that great hymn that Paul records for us. He emptied himself of his godness to walk with us and be exposed to the temptations and the trials and the hurts and the heartbreaks that we are exposed to. So how did he endure? How did he overcome? He had the Spirit of God. If you look at Luke chapter 4, uh, Luke records prior to Luke chapter 4, there's a large section of genealogy tracing the history of Jesus' ancestry. But just before that, he tells us that Jesus was baptized by John in the Jordan River. And when Jesus was baptized by John, that a spirit, the Spirit of God, descended on Jesus like a dove, and God proclaimed from heaven a voice that others heard, this is my son whom I love, with him I am well pleased. And the Spirit of God came to dwell inside of Jesus. You have the genealogy, you fast forward to Luke chapter 4, verse 1, and it tells us that Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, was led into the desert or into the wilderness. Jesus himself was filled by the Spirit and led by the Spirit. You move through that account in the desert and the temptations that follow. And when Jesus resists the enemy and moves into what we would call his earthly ministry of uh, moving into Galilee to proclaim uh, you know, what God was up to in him and the salvation that was available, it says that he did so, this is verse 14 of Luke chapter four, he did so in the power of the Holy Spirit. So here we have Jesus, limited in human flesh, coming to save the world, and what equipped Jesus to do what he was called to do? The Spirit of God that filled him, that led him, that empowered him. 
There's always been this unique obsession uh, since Jesus walked the earth with Jesus. There are people that just kind of want to look at Jesus, kind of like this great historical figure, kind of in a bronze bust or statue somewhere, and say, Jesus was this great model of teaching. Jesus was a really kind man. Jesus was the great example of what it meant to treat people well. Uh, Jesus knew what it was like to stand up for the oppressed and the vulnerable, to help the hurting. And, and when we love all those things about Jesus, and we can love those things about Jesus and never fully submit to him as the king of our lives, the ruler of our lives, the Lord of our lives. So there's always been this unique thing where we are all kind of aware of Jesus and like Jesus, but not everybody submits to him. And, and if you're not yet submitting to Jesus, here's what I would submit to you. When you look to Jesus and the things that we treasure in him, the way he treated people, the way he loved others, the way he, he spoke with gentleness, the way he, he, he modeled kindness. What made those things possible in a broken world? Jesus was filled with the Spirit of God. If you and I hope to be people who emulate the kindness and the truth and the love and the, 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 the justice and the willingness to come alongside the vulnerable and the poor and the hungry that we see in Jesus, we can't do it for a sustained period in our own strength. We need the very thing that Jesus needed. We need the Spirit of God. There's only one way to get the Spirit of God, and that's to turn to God and to cry out to him in faith, to acknowledge that he is the creator and that he's made all things new and he'll make things new in us through Jesus. He'll reconcile the ledger in our lives, the sin and the brokenness that we've been a part of and forgive us in Jesus. And as we turn to him, we believe and we have faith and we repent, he fills us as we're baptized into him with his spirit and God comes to live inside of us. It's not to be feared in an unholy way. It's not to be scared of. It's to be in awe of that God would come and choose to live in us to help us become like his son. And that's what we see in the pages of the New Testament. In all the dialogue about the spirit, you see kind of this dual uh, talk about the Spirit. On the one hand, you have Paul, who so often as he talks about the Holy Spirit, talks about the Holy Spirit as this source uh, of God, this life of God in us that transforms us. That God works in us to bring our appetites and our desires and, and our affections into alignment with his. He changes the way we think and the way we feel and the way we, we, we move through our relationships. He, he works inside of us. And then you have this other side that we see in John's words in the Gospel of John, and we see him in Luke's words in his Gospel, but also in the book of Acts, where the Holy Spirit not only transforms us on the inside, like Paul talks about, but as he transforms us from the inside, he works through us to bring transformation to the world. The Holy Spirit is God's agent of not just changing us, on the inside, but he changes us from the inside out. So as we're transformed to the likeness of Christ, we begin to live like Jesus did. We begin to act like Jesus did. Our words begin to sound more like his in situations. And our hands do things that honor him and that he would do. And our feet take us to places where he would go. And that's all the work of God's transforming spirit in us and then through us. That's why the Spirit of God needs to have a seat at the table. Don't, don't move the chair for God the Father. Don't, don't move the chair for Christ the Son, but let's just pull up the chair for the Spirit of God in us 
and through us, working out his purposes in this world. And he is prepared to do that in you and through you and in me and through me. We need the spirit of God. The take home that I would give you today is simply uh, this. No, I will not give you the take home yet because this is really important. I don't want to leave this out. Sorry about that. Um, I thought I had this sense I was leaving something out. This is pretty significant. Um, when we look at scripture, this is just an overview. We'll get into some of these other verses throughout our series. But when you just want to get an overview of who the spirit is, here, here's what I would submit to you. Um, one of the best places, by the way, if you want a quick, easy read uh, on the spirit to better understand, Francis Chan has written a book called Forgotten God that speaks about the spirit um, and where it shows up in scripture. Um, I can show you other resources if you want them, but in, in multiple resources I found, they all kind of represented these scriptures in the same way. One is that the Holy Spirit, when you look at scripture, is a person. It's a real living person that comes alongside of us. How do we know that? Well, the Holy Spirit has a mind, Scripture tells us. The Holy Spirit uh, has knowledge. The Holy Spirit has affection. The, the Holy Spirit has a will. But beyond just being a, a person, something, someone really living and moving and working in our lives, the Holy Spirit is fully God. Hebrews tells us the Holy Spirit is eternal. And we read in places like Psalm 139, among others, that the Holy Spirit is omnipresent. The Holy Spirit is everywhere. There's that powerful Psalm of David, Psalm 139, where he says, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? He says, if I go to the far side of the earth, you're there. If I go to the highest heights, you're there. If I go to the depths, you're there. Like, like God, I can't get away from you. Your spirit is everywhere. The spirit is omnipotent. The Spirit is omniscient, knows everything. It knows the things of God, things that we aren't even able to know. That's just an overview of a few of the scriptures. There are so many more of who the Spirit is. And when I see who the Spirit is, it just creates this appetite in me when I get that glimpse of, I want him. I want to get to know him. I want to get to recognize him. I want to come to experience his power more in my life because I want to be able to live and move like Jesus and help people come to follow Jesus as I have. So, so here are the two primary takeaways. One, I think with what we've discovered about the Spirit, it should impress upon each of us the significant value of every human life. How so? Well, the value of yourself, because if God is willing to come and reside inside of you, that means that God must find value in you as you trust in him, that he would come and abide in you. It means that if you're not yet a follower of Jesus, that you're just one confession away from acknowledging him as your God and Christ as your savior and surrendering to him in faith, entering into his life, faith coming alive in baptism and that spirit filling you and the God of the universe will come and live inside you. If you're already a follower of Jesus, it should remind you of your value that God lives inside of you. So let's honor God with our bodies, as Paul would write. That everywhere you go, you take, even if you've hushed his voice, you take him with you. That's a sobering thought, isn't it? 
He's in you and with you. But it should change the way we see other people. It should fill us with compassion for other people. Because it means that every person in your family, every person in your place of work, every person in your child's daycare, every person in our, 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 our community, every person that's featured in Boone Beat or on the nightly news, every politician in Washington, every person around the world, they too are just one confession away from acknowledging Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior and God's Spirit coming to fill them. It should motivate us that the world might know who he is. If you're already a disciple of Jesus, it should change the way you see other followers of Jesus. Those people that you disagree with, those people that maybe you dislike, those people that maybe you can't get along with, guess what? Just as the Spirit of God lives in you, the Spirit of God lives in them. And the Spirit of God together, when we unite around what matters most, works through us to be his powerful voice, his powerful hands, his powerful feet in this world.